Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly of God podcast. Please join us at 9, 11 a.m. at the main campus and 11 a.m. at the Monk's Corner, Remount, and North Charleston campuses. Thank you for listening. We hope that God blesses you through doing so. I'm excited about this series. We're getting ready to start the first thing today. Uh, First of all, we're one campus at four different locations. So I want to welcome all those who will be watching from Faith North, Faith Remount, uh, Faith Monk's Corner. Those who are watching by way of streaming, we stream our services live every Sunday morning. So if for some reason you can't make it to church, we want you to be here. But if you can't come, you can always go to your computer and keep up and watch the services live stream or on television. So we welcome all of you today who are here and at all of our various campuses around. And I really wanted to bring this first message by way of video to all of our campuses so you kind of get a feel of my heart and the kickoff together. The story. We're launching it. We're getting ready to start. We're, this is an incredible adventure. Uh, what we want to do is go back and look at the Word of God and open up your hearts and open your minds to a greater understanding. Now, obviously, as we go through the Word of God in just a few short weeks, there's no way to cover everything in the story. But we're going to cover the highlights. We're going to give you a timeline. You're going to be under, understand how things in the Bible come together, how they all fit together in God's time, how, and, and we'll look at the key players that God raises up to communicate his message to the rest of the world. And so you're going to have a, a greater understanding of the greatest book ever written. It's unlike any other book because this book is inspired by God himself the creator of the universe. So we'll be looking at God's story. And it's not just for information's sake, but, but rather I want God to come down and speak to us every Sunday morning. I want to re- reveal something of himself to us and speak to your hearts as you come together, as you invite your friends to come as well. Now, don't miss a service. We'll be doing this every Sunday morning because there will be a test at the end. And depending on how you do, we'll tell where you stay in heaven, what kind of place you got waiting to- Just kidding. It will not happen. Do not be nervous about that. Our life groups will also be doing the story. Uh, Life groups take place. Most of them are on Wednesday nights, some Tuesday, some Thursday nights. Uh, Find a life group and get plugged in and get involved in one of those. It's going to be your opportunity to begin to talk about it with other people around you and connect and connect with your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ right here at Faith Assembly of God. We also will have copies of the story in book form, and you can pick those up on your way out, and uh, they will sell you one of those at a great price. And if you have no money, just tell them, put it on my tab and uh, get it. It'll be great. Hey, there's going to be so much to cover. About about 31 weeks will be in the story, and there's so much to, to begin to get a hold of. I kind of feel like a mosquito in a nudist colony. So much to cover in so little time. (laughs) That's going to mess some of you up for the rest of the service. I can, I can see that right now. The Bible, the story. First of all, the story is a he story. It is about God. It is about God, the creator of the universe. It's God's story about himself. It is not primarily a self-help book to make us improve our lifestyle. Although I will tell you, when you get into the book and find your place in it, it'll change your life. But that's the subplot. It is always God's story. It is his story, history. 
his story being told. It's about the God of the universe. It's about the God of creation. It's about the God of salvation. It's about the God who loves you. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. It's his story. So it's a he story. As we look through the story, we're also going to find out it's a we story. It's about all of us. And you get, you get that at the very beginning. When God creates the heavens and the earth, he, he puts human beings on here and he starts the, the human race, mankind. And then he will birth up a nation and raise them up to carry out his redemptive processes. And that nation is called the nation of Israel. And you're going to begin to see how God deals with a nation and, and moves with them throughout history to bring the Messiah to us. And then you're going to move into the New Testament. We're going to look at the church and how that the church is a part of the we story. You see, God's story is never just about you and him. Because when God saves us, he puts us into a family. So it's about all of us in community relating to our creator. It's a we story. It's about all of us. That's why a church is so important. That's why community is so important. That's why our life groups are so important. That's why our men's fraternity and our sisterhood are so important. Because you were never saved in isolation. Uh, God always works through a people, a group, and so it is always a we story. And third, you're going to understand that it's also a me story. And what's going to be exciting as we begin to go through the stories in the word of God, what I want you to do is find your place in those characters. You know, he writes to Corinthians and says, these things were given to us for examples. And as we begin to move through the story together, you're going to see yourself in their failures, uh, in their successes, uh, in their dilemmas. Uh, they're, they, they were just like us. And we're going to learn all kinds of stuff as we begin to see ourselves in God's great story. And the story opens up in Genesis 1-1. And he simply says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Say, just say that first part with me. In the beginning, God. Stop right there. Let's try it one more time. You guys got carried away, got excited. We'll stop after God. In the beginning, God. It's, it's God's story. It, it's, it's about the extravagant, all-powerful creator of abundance and design. It is God. In the beginning, God. Listen, when God created the earth, he put it at just the right distance from the sun. He, he rain and water to water the earth, light and heat, everything we need to sustain life. God placed it right here on planet earth. The constants of physics, the speed of light, the gravitational constants, the, the strength and weakness of the nuclear forces, how they all connect together. Uh, now, let me ask you a question. What are the odds that this miracle of life and the earth and the universe and all there is all just came by accident? Just an accidental happen chance to have everything at the right distance, uh, at the right place, sustain life on planet earth. What are the odds of probability of that ever happening? And I guess another question we really got to wrestle with is, are you willing to bet your life on it? Are you willing to bet your life there is no creator, there, that this is all accident, this is all happen chance, this is all, uh, can there be anything more rational to think that this design of the earth, the design of the human body, the design of all there is, is just something that happened by random? How do you get everything there is 
out of nothing. I mean, even to have a, a, a big bang, there, there had to be uh, liquid and heat and light and those things coming together at just the right moment. And so science itself denies the randomness of chance. A time when there was nothing to explode. Genesis 1 doesn't deny big bang. It simply says, and God said, bang! And God said, bang and it exploded and we have our incredible universe today we are simply told that god created the heavens and the earth we are not told how we're not given a whole lot of detail we got all of creation in about uh 20 some verses and so we're not told how he did it we're just simply told in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and God created everything there is, the Bible says, for his own glory. I want you to turn to Genesis, uh, Psalms 19 and verse 1. Psalm 19 and verse 1. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. You see, we get a taste of what God is like when we look at his creation. The heavens display the glory of God, the handiwork of God. We get a glimpse into his wisdom. Uh, We get a glimpse into his power. We get a glimpse into his goodness. Uh, It is seen in his beauty. Uh, It is seen in his provision of air and water and food uh, and the good God that he is. Uh, We get a glimpse of who God is when we look at his handiwork. The handiwork declares the glory of God. If you came to my house... You walked around it. There's some things you would begin to figure out about my life. You could come to my house and you could look around and there's things you could begin to ascertain and know about my life. You would first of all probably figured out that I was married. There are certain lady touches in the house that I would have nothing to do with. You'd probably look at my library and might figure out he's a preacher or a teacher, someone connected with the word of God or who communicates the gospel. Uh, You would definitely know I was not a mechanic or a carpenter because you would go down to my garage and see all kinds of tools piled up on top of each other in a random mess and uh, a very limited supply at that. Uh, you would probably discern that I like sports because if you came in the fall, probably football would be on. Yeah. Aren't you glad guys? There's a few guys out there that are getting pretty excited. It's coming up. You'd probably figure out that I like to ride motorcycles because I would have one sit in my garage or a kayak because I have one out in the backyard. Or you might go into my closet and find a lot of scuba diving equipment and know I enjoy diving. And so, so you could see a little bit about me by looking at my home, by looking at what I live in, by looking at how it is ordered and things. And so the, the universe is the ultimate pointer to the Lord Jesus, to God Almighty, to the creator of the heavens and the earth. It points to something greater than itself. And when you see God's design in creation, you begin to understand God's wisdom and power and majesty and might. Listen, don't treat science as, as an enemy of God or of faith. Real science should stir up an awe and wonder of who God is. Biology, chemistry, physics, astronomy, These are all laboratories uh, that become for a child of God places of worship. uh, Because the more we learn about God's creation, uh, the more we learn how great God is. Science should be studied 
to proclaim our knowledge of the greatness of God. In the beginning, God. Now I want you to go back to Genesis, and I want you to look at chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and, and what Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, we call those the Pentateuch, and uh, much, of, uh, much of what they would do is would pass down things through oral tradition, but I want to tell you, this was just more than stories being passed down through oral tradition. This was God speaking directly to Moses. And he began to write as the Holy Spirit inspired him. And you can just imagine uh, Moses writing these words. And he, and he starts out with chapter 2 and verse number 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Can you imagine Moses laying out under the stars at night? Looking up at the heavens. And just writes these words down. And thus he created all the heavens and the earth in their vast array. Now we have something called the Hubble Telescope. And we're learning more and more about this universe in which we live in. It is absolutely phenomenal, incredible. We live on the planet Earth. The planet Earth would be about the size of a grape if you compared it to the, the largest planet in our solar system, Jupiter. Jupiter would be about the size of a basketball. And so you got the smallest, you got a small planet Earth, and then you got the largest planet in our solar system, those nine planets. I think Pluto got kicked out, so we may be down to eight. But anyway, there's, there used to be, when I was in school, nine planets out there. And then you have the sun. And if you had the Earth would be about the size of a grape, the sun would be about nine feet tall. It would be a ball that much in proportion to the size of the Earth. Now, we, the, the, our solar system is in a galaxy called the Milky Way galaxy. And yet, and, and that's a vast array of stars. And I don't know if we've got the picture there. We got, they're right behind me. You got the Milky Way galaxy right here. And so you have this, uh, this is the, the earth is a tiny little speck inside of this great big galaxy right here, of which the sun is the largest planet. And yet the sun is only one of a uh, just the millions of suns that are out there, millions and millions of suns that are out there spread across our galaxy. Now, this galaxy is just one of many galaxies that are out there. And now with the T Hubble telescope, you can look beyond that and see more galaxies. Uh, do you have a shot of the baby galaxy? Where's the baby galaxy? That, that's a cool one. Uh, is, they called it that because it kind of looks like maybe a baby in uh, uh, kind of embryonic stages there. And then they have one called the Sombrero Galaxy. Take a look at this one. The Sombrero Galaxy kind of looks like a flying saucer. Isn't that cool? Uh, Sombrero Galaxy. Uh, you don't know where they come up with these names. The Whirlpool Galaxy. Flash that one behind me if you would. Uh, let's take a look at the Whirlpool Galaxy. And you've got these galaxies. Now, galaxies all make up, you take all the galaxies and they make up what they call neighborhoods. And in neighborhoods, there are thousands of galaxies located in neighborhoods. And now scientists believe there are literally thousands and thousands of neighborhoods sp spread out forever. It is incredible when you think about all that God made and all that created the vastness of the universe. And Moses looks up and he simply writes, and the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. God. The next time you are tempted to limit God and everything in your life seems to be overwhelming and you don't know where to turn and you don't know what's going on, remember the God who did that cares about you 
and he's big enough to take care of your problem and your situation and your difficulty, whatever it might be, cares about you. And, and, and if God did all of that in the universe, think about how much bigger than the thing he created must be. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul kind of gets a, gives a little foretaste of it. Ephesians 1 and verse number 3. Praise be to the God and Father of the heavenly realms, of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Now, before all of that, God chose you and me. To be holy and blameless in his sight, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms. Are we blessed or what? Is God good or what? Is God great or what? We can't even begin to comprehend all the blessings of God. And the Bible said he chose us before the creation of the world. He thought of you before he created all of that. In fact, he created all of that because he thought of you, because he needed a planet that would be in perfect place, that it would sustain our life. And so he thinks as us before the, the beginning of time, and then he builds a universe around us. You guys are all, somebody ought to be a little happy out there. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God cares about you. He thought of you and then he created this. He gave us everything that we need to sustain life in perfect balance and in perfect harmony. And ultimately, the Bible said it's so God may get the glory. Incredible. Second observation I want to make is that this great God of wisdom and truth has a great plan for my life. He has a great plan for my life. You ever, you ever arrive at a movie late or start a movie late on television and you don't really know what's going on? And you get there about 20 minutes late, you've missed the whole beginning, you missed the whole opening scenes, you missed the whole sequences that start, and, and you try to, you spend the whole movie trying to figure out what you missed, Right? And what went on and what happened. And you're trying in your brain to make sense of the plot. Uh, I like The Born Identities. That's, that's a cool movie. If you like a good movie, The Born Identity. And, and they got a couple that followed that. And, but if you start that one late, you're lost. I mean, you'll never get it. You'll never catch up. Uh, there, there's one that, that I started at the beginning, I still don't understand, called Inception. Anybody ever see that one? Uh, nutty movie, stupid movie. I, I, didn't, I wasn't crazy about it because I never could figure it out. And I started it from the very beginning. Much of what happens on the earth in life doesn't make sense, sense until you understand the rest of the story. And you've got to go back to the beginning to understand God's storyline and God's plot line. And, and what I'm saying is you are a part of a much larger story than your life and your present situation. It goes all the way back to the beginning. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. Look at this story begin to unfold. Genesis chapter 2 and 
Look at verse number 15. The Lord God took man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, contrary to popular opinion, the oldest profession was landscaping. And he puts Adam and Eve in this garden. He says, take care of it. Be my landscapers. Have dominion. Now, when God speaks to Moses or speaks to Adam and Eve, and and Moses writes this, Moses uses the expression, and the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh Elohim. He he adds a personal covenant name for God that you don't see in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, Elohim. He creates the heavens and the earth. He speaks the worlds into existence. Uh, But now it is Yahweh Elohim who will fashion man. And he'll begin to form man. And you you jump down to verse number 7 of this chapter. Look at this description here. Uh, And the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. He, he, the the word there is he, he fashioned man. He took his time. He formed man. And then he breathed. And the word for breath there is the word for spirit. The same word we translate spirit. And he breathed into man the, the breath of life, the spirit. And so man has a spirit, unlike other animals in the, in the God's creation. And man has a definite purpose for living. He breathes into man. And he gives them one command before the fall, and there's only one commandment. There weren't 10, there weren't 20, there weren't 30. He goes in the garden, and he gives them one commandment. But even that commandment starts with freedom. And so he says, every tree that you see, every plant you see, you can eat from that, you can take care of that, you can touch that, you can eat it, do whatever you want to it, you can freely eat. Because God's purpose was for man to experience freedom and dominion. And so of all I've given, you may freely eat freedom. Now, have you ever asked yourself the question, why did God stick one tree in the middle of the garden to mess everything up? Almost like it's God's fault. He put it there in the first place. But it's kind of one of those mysteries that we wrestle with. Why even create the opportunity? Am I the only one who ever thought about that? Why place that? Well, I think there are some reasons there. I think it shows that God is both the owner and Lord of the garden. He's putting his stamp on the garden and he is saying, this is my garden. Don't forget that. And to show you it's my garden and to show you I'm the Lord, don't touch this one tree in the middle of the garden. But it doesn't, you know, you, you think about it, it may not make sense when we first glance at it. And then he says, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. You ever think that, that Adam really didn't know what that word meant. What's death? What does it mean to die? And, and you, we have no explanation there that is given to Adam. And, and so you, you almost get the idea that that wasn't God's intention at all from the very beginning of time. But he also gave man a choice. and Because of man's rebellion, he would figure out and learn soon what death would be all about. 
Listen, when you run across a tree in your path and you don't know why it's there and you don't understand why God's allowing this to happen to you and why are you going through these trials and these tests and these temptations that come your way or adversity comes and you can't explain it because God is God. He is able to maintain a little mystery about who he is. We will not figure everything out about God. And when we're tempted to shake our fist at God who created the heavens and the earth and we say, why me, God? Why did you allow this to happen? When you will think about that for a while, it's very humbling that God placed us here on this earth. We may not understand everything or like everything he does, but whether God chooses to reveal every reason or not, he is still God. And he can have a little mystery can have a little mystery in this book. You can have a little mystery in your life. He is not obligated to tell you everything. You can ask, but don't be arrogant. Because he's God. Turn to Romans chapter 11. Paul kind of captures this sentiment when he writes to the Roman church. And he, and, and he, he talks about, listen to this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has seen his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. From him, through him, and for him are all things. There are some mysteries we may never ever figure out. But if you, if you try to, you will get frustrated. Uh, if you begin to put yourself in the center of the universe and everything revolves around you and your life, you will get very frustrated in life. If you're at the central figure in history, you won't get it all sorted out. It's like coming late. You won't figure out the movie. You won't figure out the plot line. It won't make sense to you. We'll never know our purpose. We'll never have that satisfaction until we understand in the beginning, God. And God is God. And his ways are beyond figuring out. We will not understand everything. But we also know that God is big enough. And I can put my trust in him when the uncertainties come and the difficulties come. I can trust in God. He's big and he's good all the time. The third observation is simply this. God is the relentless redeemer committed to his grace and goodness, dominating this world and dominating my life. God is committed to his grace, dominating this world, and dominating my life. You see, Adam and Eve messed up. They blew it. They they, they ate of that tree. The one thing that God said, don't do, they did. And, And yet God doesn't come along and wipe them out and squash them and start over. Okay, you guys blow it. I'm gonna create another man. I'll create another woman. We'll start all over again. But God comes along and he provides a sacrifice for Adam and he provides a sacrifice for Eve and he he kills an animal himself and he takes that covering and he wraps it around Adam and he wraps it around Eve and he covers their nakedness and he covers their shame uh, and he covers their sin. Uh, 
In the same way that God came down and intervened in the universe and God spoke and he created the heavens and the earth, he also now comes down into time and space and history and he provides a covering and a sacrifice for man. He intervenes because God is committed to dominating this world by his grace. God not only saw the fall would occur and would happen, but God already had a plan in place. Isn't that incredible? And the cross then becomes that ultimate plan of God to rescue humanity, to rescue us. The cross becomes the ultimate display of God's love and wisdom and justice and grace. It all comes together at Calvary. The purpose is to get us back that glory that we were made for from the very beginning when God created Adam and Eve. Listen to what John 17, 24 says. Father, I desire that they also whom thou you gave me may be with me, that where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. I want to restore to you that glory that, would, that was ours before the very foundation of the world. And so God makes man, and man blows it, but because God's grace and mercy, he comes down and redeems man. But we eventually see that as man multiplies and he begins to cover the face of the earth, man also then begins to turn away from God again. And so the whole world now has gone crazy. It's turned away from the Lord. Romans 1, 25 says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen now listen everybody will worship someone or something everybody you'll either worship the creator of the universe or you'll find something else to worship in his place everybody will worship someone or something and what happens is when we worship somebody else besides God, it puts us at odds with God and brings upon us his wrath and his judgment because God is going to dominate this world with his grace. He won't allow that to remain. And so he has a man named Noah. And Noah, for 120 years, works on a boat, on a massive ark. And everybody who came by could see that boat and God gave mankind 120 years to repent and turn to him. And they refused to do so. Turn to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. Look, if you would, at verse number 21. The Lord smells the pleasant aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. And then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Now, he says, never again will I wipe out planet earth with a flood. Never again will I destroy it in the way I have this time. And then he says something to Noah. He gives him the very same promise that he gave to Adam. 
earlier. Be fruitful and multiply. And he pronounces this blessing over Noah because God is so committed to grace and mercy, he never gives up on man. And even though the whole world is wicked, uh, God in his grace and mercy keeps reaching out. And he is still reaching out. And he never stops. And he never gives up on mankind. Even though his ways are naturally evil. And so he blesses Noah. And he blesses his family. You see, creation was never about the creature. That creation is about you receiving God's mercy and grace and forgiveness in your life. Uh, Creation was about so you could worship and receive God's blessing that he has designed for you. Uh, It's about God finding you and reaching out to you and dominating you by his grace. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse number 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. And let me just read verse 17 as well. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Part of God's plan was to redeem you. When he made all of this, and you're this tiny little bitty speck in the middle of this galaxy, God knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. But he created all this to redeem you, to save you. Because God is committed to dominating the world with his grace. And one day he will do that. But it starts with your life, one life at a time. Listen, you may think, God can't save me. I've done too many bad things. God can't change me. Paul says, I am the worst of sinners. But God found me. Now to him who is invisible, almighty, immortal, the only wise God. God found me. God redeemed me. God saved me. And so stop running from God who creates you and loved you. Becoming a Christian is about turning from whatever or whoever you're ultimately living for. Turning from whatever you're worshiping right now, either yourself or something else or someone else, uh, and turning to the maker of the heavens and the earth who made everything that there is, allowing God to be your king and the center of your life. Ask Jesus to come into your story. Ask Jesus to change your plot line and give you a brand new ending. But it only happened when you ask Jesus to come into your heart and life and be your Lord and be your Savior. If you don't know the Lord of creation, you can put him at the center of your life today. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.